The following audio message by Dudley Hall is presented by Kerygma Ventures. More information is available at www.kerygmaventures.com. Well, glory. Hey, this is Dudley. It's beginning to be wintertime over here, and uh, <clears throat> the mountain cedars are blooming, blossoming, bursting, and ragweed is plentiful, and therefore I have a little uh, congestion, so I apologize in advance for clearing my throat, coughing, whatever I have to do, and for the fact that I got my hat on because my head's cold. If you haven't noticed, there's not much uh, cover up there, so uh, I'm wearing my hat today. Hey, it's uh, it's almost Christmas time. Well, it will be by the time you get this. I want to recommend that you get this little book here, Shorty, God's Substitute Ram, and give it to every kid 12 and under that you know. Uh, actually, some that are over 12 would enjoy it too. It's the story of Abraham and Isaac and the ram told from the point of view of the ram. So we get it from God's perspective about Isaac, but this is kind of anticipating what the ram might have been going through during that time. And of course, you know, the ram is a type and picture of Jesus, the ultimate ram. It's a great story. It really is a good story. Uh, I, I wrote the uh, I, I wrote the story and then D. Hodges, the other grandparent to David and Mary Claire's sons, is the artist who did the illustrations. So you'll like it. Also, the father-daughter thing is coming up here pretty quickly. In February 16 through 18, all fathers and daughters, well, all fathers and daughters where daughters are 15 or more, should, should go through this at some point or another. Go ahead and make plans. It'll be the greatest thing you've done for your daughter or you daughters have done for your dad. It's a life-changing experience. It's not just a little sentimental thing. It is a life-changing experience. Go online, register, be a part of that. Also, all of you, all of you should register for the EPIC conference that's coming up the first weekend in March. Uh, first, second, third, second, third, fourth, somewhere along in there. Anyway, starts on Thursday night, goes through Saturday noon. It is, uh, it's the best conference you'll go to. There's no, I, I don't. I have no reservation telling you that. It's it's a gospel-centered, uh, Christ-exalting. You go and you you encounter Christ, and when you encounter Christ, all kind of things happen. Register for the for the Epic Conference. It's it's held here in the Dallas area, actually in Prosper, Texas, at Lighthouse Christian Fellowship. And uh, there's something for the kids. There's something for the youth. There's something. We have breakout sessions to try to show how the gospel applies to every aspect of life. It's a fabulous time. It's worth more than the time and the energy you'll, and money you'll put into it. Okay, let's talk about Reformation. I continue to hear people saying, we need, a, we need a great Reformation. And when I do, when I hear that, I shudder somewhat because I don't think we have actually considered what, uh, how tumultuous the Reformation was. We've been celebrating this year the 500th commemoration of the beginning of the Reformation. It happened in 1517, began 
when Martin Luther nailed 95 Theses to the castle door in Wittenberg, Germany, and he was simply, as, as a part of the church, stating some of his convictions and concerns about the corruption of the church. And he, I don't think he intended to start a, what we now call the Great Reformation. Someone has said, some historians said, if, if Martin Luther could have lifted those nine, 95 theses and looked into the future, what he would have seen is not only the positive results of light flowing out through a whole continent and ultimately to the North American continent and bringing about a freedom to people that allowed governments to change. But he would have also have seen kings being taken out of, off the throne, empires falling. He would have seen blood flowing down the streets of London. He would have seen cities in Italy in turmoil. He would have seen children boiled, beheaded, innocent men and women burned at the stake, thrown off precipices, all kind of the thousands of them. It was a tumultuous thing. And so when we say we need a reformation, our do we really, or do, are we, what we really want is a kind of a tweaking. We just kind of like our, the way things are right now, kind of tweaked a little bit. We like it to be better. We like it to go back to the fifties, 1950s. We like for, uh, we like for our values to be appreciated more than they, than they are now. So, you know, we, we would like for, for church to be, uh, simpler, and community to be more real and life to be less complicated. But I don't know that we really want a reformation, but God may. And there may be one in the offing. There may be one around the corner. I believe there's something going on that uh, is building toward a move of God that will do what the Reformation did uh, in the sense that the gospel will be recovered because that was the essence of the Reformation and societies will be disrupted and there will be uh, hostility and there will be persecution. Now, uh, I'm not a prophet of doom. That actually is a prophet of... of uh, of hope because it means that God has not given up on his creation. God just doesn't have a habit of giving up on his projects. We go back to Adam and Eve and we find out that God had this, he, he had this wonderful idea of creating man and woman so they could represent him on the earth and subdue the earth in fellowship with him. And, uh, but he gave them, the, the dignity to make choices and they made the wrong choice and they brought curses on the earth and all kind of terrible things happened. And one might have expected God to begin wringing his hands and going, Oh my goodness, uh, what a mess. But he didn't, he didn't give up. He continued to work with man on God's earth 
to bring about what God intended. And the next iteration we see is with Noah. Things got a little bad with Noah. Things went so badly that God said, I'm going to destroy the whole thing, but I'll save a remnant. I'll save Noah and his family. So he did. So God didn't give up. Things got bad after that. You would think that such a purging might have fixed things, but it, it didn't. They were building a Tower of Babel before long. So finally God, or not finally, but next, God appears to Abram and he says, we are going to fix this. And through your seed, your son, uh, we'll reverse the curse. I'll reverse the curse that's on mankind and all of creation. And so that's a good promise from God. That's a good thing. And But then Abraham's descendants go down into Egypt for because of a famine. And they spend 400 years there. But God doesn't give up just because his people went to Egypt for famine instead of trusting him, maybe. Uh, he doesn't give up. He continues to work. Excuse me. I hope you have a cup of coffee where you are. I hope you're not drinking it if you're driving. So he didn't give up. So he calls Moses out of that whole bunch. And uh, Moses leads Israel out of Egyptian bondage miraculously through the Red Sea, through the Promised Land. He establishes his people in, in a land they had nothing to do to earn. He gave it to them. And he is, he is their God and they, they're his people. And yet they continue to disobey him. There's a cycle in the book of Judges during this period where these people that God had delivered, they, they keep going after other gods. And, and so other nations take them over and God comes down and, and brings a judge and vindicates them. That, that happens like 12 times in the book of Judges. But God doesn't give up. You, you would think at some point God would go, okay. Just, it was a bad idea. Burn it all up. But he didn't. He kept working. And then there came the age of the kings. And God worked through, well, he let them choose Saul. And then he chose David. And through David, some really, really good things happened. And, and, and Israel became uh, a great nation. The greatest nation, if you will. And occupied all the land that the Lord had promised to them. And it was a superior nation. And then under Saul, uh, Solomon, David's son, it was still good for a good long time. But after Solomon, things started going downhill pretty rapidly. And uh, the kingdoms divided. The northern kingdom goes into captivity to Assyria. Later, the southern kingdom goes in captivity to Babylon. Ah, you would think God would say, look, I got other things to do. But he didn't. He promised to those people that there would be a restoration, that he would act in behalf of his name. Remember, we talked about that last month. That God says, it will not be said of me that I start something and can't finish it. It will not be said of me that I have a people on the earth who cannot be the people I intended them to be. I will assure that my name is not in, uh, used in vain. So uh, God promised uh, Israel that they would be restored. And of course they came back out of 
captivity. Some of them did uh, during the period of Cyrus. And they reestablished the Jerusalem and built a, built a wall and built a temple. Excuse me, it wasn't at the level he had promised. Because he had promised a fabulous restoration. And of course, uh, that happened the day that Jesus came on the scene. He appeared. Jesus came as the fulfillment of all the prior promises and predictions and promises. He came as the last Adam and he came as the, the new Noah and the, and the bigger, better Moses and the son of David and as the restoration of Israel. How did he do that? Well, he was raised from the grave. He, through, he, he lived a perfect life and representative of mankind. And then he was, uh, he was crucified and he paid the penalty of death. And then he was raised from the grave. And his being raised from the grave was vindication that God had accepted his sacrifice as sufficient. And so uh, Jesus then ascended to the right hand of the Father. And there, that's where he is today, the place where mankind was supposed to be, designed to be. And so Jesus from there sent gifts to his people so that they could, on this earth, they could be God's representatives now in doing what God intended for them to do. So what I'm saying is that God has a, a lot invested in his creation. And there are those who say that things are getting so bad and things are going from worse to worse until it's just going to implode, explode, be destroyed. God's finally going to get uh, so uh, fed up with it that he's going to obliterate it. But that doesn't seem to be what the scripture has said. During the Great Reformation, things were bad. Uh, the church had gotten so corrupt that they had lost the gospel. The, the, the gospel had been diluted, diffused, and it, it was all about paying for your, the forgiveness of your sin with indulgences and all of that. The uh, priest had taken the role of uh, really running people's lives. You had to confess to a priest, and the priest decided if your sins were forgiven and how much it cost. And it was even possible for you to, to be in such debt with your sins, the, the degree of your sins, that even after you died, uh, others would have to pay to get you out. That's where the whole indulgence thing came into existence. And the Bible was not uh, available to the common man. It, 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 they not only didn't have it, it they couldn't read it. The, the priest said only they could. So uh, the church was in, in a real mess. And because the church was in a mess, the society was in a mess because God has chosen for the church to be the light that illumines society. And when the light of the church gets dim, society goes in the dark. And when society goes in the dark, evil runs rampant. And so society was, had been affected greatly about by this whole thing. So during the Great Reformation, we see God doing what God always does. And we have hope that he is continuing to do. And that is God works through his sons. Now listen to me carefully. When God gets ready to do something in the earth, he does it through his sons. Remember, Adam was the first son. When God got ready to do creation. He did it through Adam and Eve. When God got ready to uh, save the 
the earth and the flood, he chose Noah as a son. He said to Abraham, I'm going to reverse the curse through a son, through one of your sons, your seed. When David was king, he is the, he was God's son. And God said, one of my sons will always sit on the throne like David. And then of course, of course, at, at the fullness of time, at the climax of the story, at the apex of everything, the sun comes. The sun comes. Look, the recovery of the gospel is what brought the Great Reformation. And I want you to, I just want you to listen to the introduction to the book of Romans where Paul is writing to say, this is the gospel and this is what I've given my life for. And I want you to notice the ingredients of the gospel and what God recovers when the gospel is recovered. Here's what he says. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. So the gospel has been predicted, promised, prophesied in the past. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we receive grace and apostleship. So, so the gospel is about a son. It, it's no accident that when Jesus was just about to leave his disciples, he said, I'm going to the Father to prepare a place for you so that you can relate to the Father as sons. And as you relate as sons and you can ask him things and, 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 and be loved by him and affirmed by him and accepted by him, and, and the spirit uh, that's given to you will cause you to say, Abba, Father, to him. When you relate to God as sons, then you will be able to represent me on the earth and society will get the benefit of the light and the work of God that comes through sons. So, so God is always working through sons. And so who are the sons today? Well, the scripture says, to as many as received him, to them gave he the power, the authority to become the sons of God. So one of the things we, we think, okay, what does it take to, to see a, a revival, a re reformation, a, a spiritual revolution? What, what does it take? We need God to do some miracles. We need this and that to happen. no. Uh, God, whatever God's going to do, he's going to do through his sons, which means he's going to do through his true organic church because that's the sons. The sons make up the real church, the body of Christ, the real church. Not, the, not, not all the institutions and all the stuff to go with, just that body of Christ who know Christ. He is real to them. They relate to God as father and each other as brothers and sisters and they relate to creation as stewards, as managers. So when they're relating to God as father and to brothers and sisters in that relationship and as the earth as a stewardship, then these are some pretty useful folk. These are folk who get things done. These are folk who can bring the blessings of God on a society rather than the curses of God. So if you want to pray for reformation, you pray for, for there to be a recovery of a gospel that produces sons of God. And you should pray for the, for the 
revival, the purification of the church, and for the church to recover its message, the message of the gospel. Now, what is that message? There are lots of ways of saying it. I'm saying it like this. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ as the only mediator between God and man. So why would you pick that kind of language? Because, you see, all of us being created in God's image have a sense that there's accountability. We know we're creatures. We know he's creator. We know that he has a right to rule. He made us. We came from him. We go back to him. So there is built into everything in creation this sense of uh, justice, the sense of every man is accountable before God. And so we, we fear God. We fear that we fear what's going to happen when we stand before him for that kind of accountability. And make no mistake about it. We all do stand before God. We all will give an account. But here is the hope of the Christian. Here's the hope of anybody. That when I stand before God to give an account, of every word, thought, and deed. Jesus steps in front of me as my representative, as the ultimate human being, as the Christ, as the Lamb of God, as the sacrifice, as the mediator between God and man. And Jesus takes the judgment. He receives on himself the very wrath of God that burns and obliterates sin. He takes every thought, every, every action, every word, he takes it upon himself and he reduces it to ashes through great cost to himself, through himself being separated from God the Father, through, through his, himself be, becoming sin for us. And... He not only dies for me, but he is resurrected and I am with him. I'm still with him. And he sets a place for me in himself at the right hand of the father. So the only way that I relate to God is through a mediator. I don't have any chance of relating to God without a mediator. I can't negotiate with God. What would I have to negotiate with? Jonathan Edwards has said, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that necessitated it. I don't have anything. I can say, well, God, I've given my body to be burned. I, I've sacrificed. I could have made millions. I chose not to make millions. And God goes, that, that, that matters not. You have nothing to negotiate with. I've, uh, I am a part of Adam's race. Adam was kicked out of the garden. In Adam, I sinned. And because I'm in Adam, I, I have personally sinned. And therefore, I have no, nothing to negotiate with God. So if I think by what I do, I can get God to bless me a little. And it, by doing some, uh, some penance type things, I can get not, God not to curse me a little. I'm playing games. I'm playing religious games. For the requirement is righteousness, and there's only one righteous. So when Jesus steps in front of me to take the judgment, then he assures for me that judgment has already happened in my case. And my sins have already been judged. Therefore, 
in looking forward to the last coming of Christ, to, to, to seeing God face to face, I don't have to have any kind of terrifying fear. I can have an awe, an awesome, an awesome reverence of his love, of his goodness, of his mercy that can cause me to fall on the ground. But it's not because of my sin and my shame and my guilt. It's because of how, how good he is. So it's the gospel of the mediation of Jesus Christ. You see, the old covenant says, God said it to Israel, if you will obey my stipulations, I will bless you. If you disobey them, you'll be cursed. Jesus came and said, I'll negotiate for you. So God the Father and Jesus the Son of God, God the Father, God the Son, negotiated with each other. God negotiating with God. And God says, I'll bless the obedient. Jesus says, I'll be the obedient. And he was. And God says, I'll curse the disobedient. Jesus said, I will take the place of the disobedient. And he did. And because of that, we stand in this grace justified before him. You can understand why Paul said, I believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew and to the Gentile. You see, when the gospel is recovered and it is preached, and it's preached without any barnacles, any spiritual, theological, philosophical barnacles attached to it. When it's preached purely, it sets people free. They're free from their guilt. They're free from their shame. They're free from condemnation. They're free to enjoy God. They're free to, to discover their own destiny. They're free to discover their own dignity. They're free to discover their own creativity. They're free to discover that they are stewards of God in this earth, sons of God even now while they wait for the redemption of the body. They are free people, useful to God, to disseminating his light in a dark world. So the gospel has to be recovered, and it has to be recovered as by grace only, through faith only, in Christ only, on the basis of the scriptures only, for the glory of God only. Those were the five solas of the great reformation. We, we need to recover them today. Not, not many of us know about it, but we're not trying to go back in history. We're not trying to go back to the great reformation. We're trying to go forward. But if we go forward, we cannot go forward apart from the revelation of the gospel of God. That is the message that God has built everything upon. So the stage is set, I believe. The, the word that will not fail. Remember, remember Isaiah talking about the final restoration, and he says that the word of God will go forth and it will not fail without accomplishing what it was sent out to do. What is that word of God that goes forth? It's just like the word that God went forth in creation. When God sent it out, it accomplished what it was sent out to do. Uh, anytime God ever has ever spoken a word, it accomplished what he sent out to do. So, so what is the word of God that he has sent out? Let, let me read you this scripture. This is really good. <laughs> All scripture is good. First Peter. Chapter one, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth 
for sincere and brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Now he's going to quote Isaiah. All flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of God remains forever. Now listen to this. And this word is the gospel that was preached to you. You see, it's not just Bible verses that go out. It's not just any truth that we might find in scripture, we might find in Proverbs or or in the historical writings or parables as Jesus told. It's not just little truths, little insights, little revelations here and there. It is the gospel that explains the whole word. The word of God that's given in all the scriptures is about Christ, the living word. And the gospel is about Christ and what he has done in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, and now in his people as he, as he expresses himself. Listen to me. There, there are thousands, yea, millions, I would say, of people who have been born of that imperishable seed. They have heard this gospel and, and it, has, it has transformed them. It's too good to be true. They cannot believe that Jesus would step in front and take the judgment, that his blood has been sufficient to cover their sin, that God accepts them on the basis of Jesus' righteousness, that they are now seen in Christ, but they believe that. But then they were taught in their culture, Christian culture, religious culture, they were taught that now you have to work at things and, and it's not nearly as good as you thought and there are things you got to wait for. You, 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 you can't do that and, and you do need to, to be afraid of God because he is awesome. And so they, they've heard a lot of entertainment type pro proclamation and they've been a part of a lot of moralistic type religion. And so their, their spirit has not been nourished. So in, inside their little baby, that spiritual baby is, is starving for the sound of the gospel. We're told by, by those who study such things that the reason a, a mother can take a fretful child who's having a hard time and bring that child to her breast and hold that child closely, that oftentimes, more times than not, that child calms down. Why? Because as it gets to that mother's breast, that child begins to feel and hear a familiar sound, the sound of its origin, the sound the sound of, of life that it lived with for nine months, They're getting in touch with who they are, that safe place with mom. What God is about to do in Reformation, he's about to reach out and bring people who've been born of the Spirit, they're babies in the Spirit, but he's going to bring them close to his breast so they can hear the sound, the beat of his heart, and his heart is the gospel. 
He has put all of his eggs in the Jesus basket, somebody said. God has revealed himself through his son fully, completely. And as the gospel is recovered and we discover that Jesus alone is our satisfaction, Jesus alone is our joy, Jesus alone is our hope, Jesus alone is, is, is what we long for. It, it is our hope. It is our desire. He is our desire. As we get back to that, our hearts then began to beat and to grow. And so, so the stage is set because there are millions of babies who need to hear and will hear that primal sound of the gospel that they heard when they first heard it preached. And now they'll start living it out. Another reason it's set, the obvious, is that society is rotting around us and we're looking at it and we're saying, something's got to happen. Well, when we start losing hope in man's ability to structure and manage things, then it, it, it's time that we start looking higher. And so I think there are thousands yay, millions, who are beginning to look higher, to look deeper, to look, look further. And what they'll find if they, if they look to Jesus is they'll find the gospel. Another thing that gives me hope that the stage is set is the internet. You say, are you crazy? Do you not know what crazy stuff goes on there? And well, think about this. One of the things that helped the Reformation spread and be so effectively was the invention of the printing press. After Gutenberg uh, invented the printing press, when Martin Luther had something to say that was not consistent with what the Pope or the priest of the corrupt church would say, he could print out his tracts and his sermons. So could Calvin and Zwingli and, and Latimer and all of those guys who were, were a part of that great move. Yeah, the printing press has been used for some bad things. Pornography comes off of it. Fake news comes off of it. Deception comes off of it. All kinds of stuff can be used. But it was used by God to disseminate the gospel. As strange as the internet may be, it offers the opportunity today for a person like you who's been touched by God and you've seen the vision of Jesus being the mediator between God and man and you, uh, your life has been transformed by him, you can get on your own little iPhone. You don't have to have a production company. You don't even have to have a light system. You just put up, put your, put your phone up in front of you and you tell your testimony. And you know what? It can go viral. It can go over the whole world. Now, will it? I don't know, but let's just say a few hundred see it or a few thousand see it or a few hundred thousand see it. The point is, when the word of God now listen to me, when the word of God goes forth, it really is true. It does not return without accomplishing what it was sent out to do. So when we have the opportunity to share the truth of the pure gospel, even if at first it doesn't look like it's accomplishing much, it never returns without accomplishing what it was sent out to do. So with the with the possibility of disseminating the message of the ordinary man and woman, of the housewife and the worker, uh, the single. You got a, you got a phone? Uh, you got a friend that's got one? You, you can become a broadcaster. You, you, can, uh, 
you can have as much effect as anybody who pays millions of dollars for all the TV time because you're speaking the word of God. So there, there's all kinds of possibilities there. So we, we come to the bottom line. Are, are we, do you want a reformation? I would ask you sincerely, soberly, ask yourself, am I willing Am I willing in order to have the benefit of the light breaking forth? Am I willing to go through the tumult? Because there, there's a whole, a whole bunch of folk who have bought into an ideology that is contrary to the gospel. The gospel brings hostility out of people because you see, it doesn't give you anything to negotiate with. It, it gives you no leverage with God it takes all control out of your hands. You have to throw yourself on the mercy of God. There are a lot of spirits ruling a lot of people who that don't want that. And so will it be tumultuous? Yes. Will there be, will there be fights in the churches? Will there be discussion? Yes. Will, will it cause uh, conflict? Yes. But it's the only hope. It's the only hope for society to be permanently changed. We can reenact new laws and we can reinforce our values, but it does not change the heart. Only the gospel changes the heart. And only men and women who have their heart changed are able not only to enact good laws, but able to obey good laws. It does no good to enact them if you can't obey them. And only those who have God's spirit living in them, motivated by love, can obey them. So is it right to pray for a great reformation? Sure. Because we live for the glory of God. And if persecution comes, we have some good models to follow. If suffering comes, that's part of, that's part of the lot. We get to demonstrate the glory of God. Because we don't live for our comfort. We live for his glory. So yes, Pray for reformation, but know what's going to happen. It'll be God recovering the gospel for his sons who will in turn bless others and let light shine through them so that even the just and the unjust will be blessed because of the mercy shown through the sons of God. So let's pray and Ask God for a great reformation. Father, I want to thank you that you don't give up on your projects. Thank you that you didn't give up on any of us individually. You didn't give up on your project in the world. You didn't give up on your promises to Israel. You fulfilled it by sending the Messiah. And you didn't give up when Jesus was in the tomb and it looked like death had won. You didn't give up when the church was corrupt in the Middle Ages. And you're not going to give up today. And so we ask you to move in our behalf and let us be a part, if you will, of the recovery of the gospel and the empowerment of the sons of God for your glory in your creation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is Dudley Hall with Kerygma Ventures, and I look forward to being with you next time. Thank you for listening to this message by Dudley Hall from Kerygma Ventures. Additional copies of this resource, as well as a wide range of discipleship materials, is available from our website. 
You may make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Dudley Hall or Kerygma Ventures, please visit us online at www.kerygmaventures.com. That's K-E-R-Y-G-M-A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S dot com.